Every memorable gift starts with a wondrous story. Giving a gift with energy helps it last just that bit longer. So imagine a story from the high seas where Jefferson's ocean bourbon and rye whiskies are aged and transformed by unpredictable and unrelenting elements. They'll taste a journey in every sip, darkened by pounding waves, kissed by ocean breezes and caramelised by equatorial heat. Give the gift of adventure. Give Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon Rye. Please, sip responsibly. Copyright 2023, Jefferson's Bourbon Company, Crestwood, Kentucky. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome star talk your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide star talk begins right now welcome to star talk radio i'm your host neil degrasse tyson i'm an astrophysicist with the american museum of natural history right here in new york city where I also serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium. And I've got with me, uh, you've seen him before, you've heard him before, Eugene Merman. Eugene, thanks. We do, we, we, you've invited us to your Eugene Merman Comedy Festival, which is a great thing you got going over there in Brooklyn. Thanks. Thanks for having us yes. be a part of that. Thanks for being here. Just recently, we did a show with you, and like our name was on the poster. That was great. Yeah. yeah I haven't been on a poster before. Well, welcome to posters. Very cool. Yeah, I'm going to make you a star, Neil. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so this show is about nutrition, and we're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain. You might have seen him with his television show on the Travel Channel. He's going to have a TV show that's, in fact, he's going to move to CNN and do a, yeah. a food show. He'll be like Anderson Cooper in the middle of a food disaster, picking up food, <laughs> exactly. going, why? And I, and I said, I couldn't do this just with Eugene, although Eugene is a bit of a food expert because you're a voice on Bob's Burgers. Yes. You know, so he's got some food expertise. And, and I got a D in chemistry, so I bring that also All right, to the table. So I, but I, I, and he but, eats. I, yes. I had, but I had to bring in a little more expertise. Just sure. uh, no offense here. Not offending. I, I uh, down the Please. street we've got New York University, a great institution, uh, one of the uh, jewels in the crown of New York, and we have Professor Marion Nessel, Professor of Nutrition. Thanks for joining us on Star Talk Radio. Thank you. So 
Uh, Anthony Bourdain, you certainly know the guy, and you've heard I've of him. Heard. Yeah, yeah, and so we've got a, a clip of my interview with him, uh, filmed previously, but we talked about just being in the kitchen mm -hmm. as a place to experiment, what kind of gadgets are available. And when we come back, I want to talk about sort of food science and uh, the science of the kitchen and what yeah. that means to you. Let's check out my first interview clip with Anthony Bourdain. What do you think of all the gadgets that help people cook food? They make great infomercials. In almost every case, they're completely worthless. The salad shooter. Do you really, you know, the ultimate salad delivery system. I mean, is cutting lettuce so hard? You know, <laughs> something that will cut onions for you is completely insane as far as I'm concerned. There is no better, a good, two good knives, a serrated knife for bread and maybe tomatoes, and a good quality chef's knife is all you need. And a cutting board couple of good heavyweight pans, and there's very little that you can't do. How do you distinguish between tricks, and I don't mean it in a circus sense, but just secrets, mm -hmm. versus 10 years of doing it? Because so you serve a food to someone and say, what's your secret? As right. though you can just tell that to them, and then tomorrow they can do exactly what you made. There and are at no, what point do you say, look, I, I've been at this my whole life. There are no so. secrets. This is the, the, the secret of the restaurant business and professional cooking is there are no secrets. It is a mentoring business. Chefs spend their whole lives learning stuff. And then because of the nature of the business, every few months, teach everything they know, invest time they don't have in teaching somebody everything they know so that they can maybe have a Sunday off and that they can count on a crew. It's a military hierarchy. There are no secrets. There are no secret recipes. There are no secret techniques. Everything that you learn in the kitchen, you were either uh, told open source by your immediate superior, and that's been shared with everybody in the kitchen, or you have learned it over time painfully. Uh, you know, the ability to tell when a steak is cooked by listening to it in the pan or on the grill or determining that a piece of fish is probably ready to come out of the pan just from the sound of it. Uh, these are things you learn through repetition, and that is the great secret. It's that this is how professionals learn, this is how home cooks should learn. People shouldn't be intimidated by recipes. They should understand that professionals learn through getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, starting to get it right, eventually getting it right until it became second nature. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. You learn all of these things even if you don't understand the science behind why your stew is transforming, why it's becoming thick as it cooks longer, why your egg scrambles, why the, the steak gets dark on the outside when you uh, expose it to heat. You may have no understanding of, of the science behind that, but you instinctively, of course, through repetition, understand it, you learn to use it, and you count on it. Now, you've used two words in our conversation as fluently as any scientist that I know. First, E. coli just rolled off your tongue. Yep. And tectonic shift rolled off your tongue. <laughs> so, well, what is your science background? What did you? High school science. High but, school science. Uh, cool. High school science, but. But uh, it meant you you liked it, I guess. I I, I did, but um, you know, people talk about things in the kitchens like, you know, what's what's happening? Why is my steak getting brown? You know, uh, the caramelization of protein, the Maillard reaction. You know. The, that's kind of cool to know. It helps you out. Well, I'm betting you didn't learn caramelization of sugars in high school chemistry. But you, you no, you been... learned it real quick. First time you stick your finger in some, you learn it on a <laughs> cellular <hot>. level. <laughs> <laughs> How come that's hotter than water? I hadn't counted yeah, on that. It's, it's way hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
so that that interview, I I just became so enchanted by by him. I mm-hmm. I felt like yeah, I'd known him my whole life by the, the during that interview. So we're back in the kitchen. You like the kitchen? I love the kitchen. Why? It's is it's the one place you can do legitimate science experiments, and no one will fault you for it. Absolutely. And if you're really a good cook, you keep notes on what you're doing. And if you a lab book, you keep a lab book. <laughs> you know? If Iran tried to build a nuclear weapon in a kitchen, no one would be so upset. <laughs> yes. You know. So if your cake fails, you try it another way. And so I'd be curious if, if on her shelf of cookbooks, she's got lab books of what experiment. <laughs> Failed cooking experiments, <laughs> successful ones. Yes. So, is there some experiment you remember most that you discovered yourself? Well, it's it's just anything that you make. You just keep making it until it works. I think it's interesting that if you cook protein, it sort of changes. Yeah. What, what was he saying when you you would burn your finger if you touched uh, sort of? Did you need him to tell you that you'd burn your finger if you touched? No, but he said but he said <laughs> faster than water. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh sorry, I don't know science. Oh, Astrophysicist. Uh, yeah, if you melt sugar and it's yeah, liquefied, it's at a higher temperature than boiling okay. water, right. and it sticks to your finger. Yeah, yeah. So, so it'll. Sticky. And, yeah. And if you look at chefs, you look at their arms, and they've chefs. Got bl- chefs. They've yeah. got yeah, yeah. blisters and cuts yeah, yeah. all over them. Because they've been fighting food for years in a hot kitchen. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> so yeah, so like for example, you know, egg goes from liquid to this fluffy form because you're heating the proteins. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an interesting and sort of consequence of it. Cream whips. Cream because wh- you're beating air into it. Right, right, right. I mean, I love yeah. it. I love it. When we come back, more of my clips with Anthony Bourdain, and I've got Eugene Merman and the good professor of nutrition, Marion Nestle. See you in a moment. Talk Radio, we're back. Find us on the web at startalkradio.net. You can listen to us three ways. You can download the podcast on iTunes and our website. You can find us in the airwaves, Star Talk Radio Radio. Also, we are on the Nerdist channel under YouTube. Check us out. You'll see us in video form. I've got Eugene Merman. Eugene, thanks. Sure. Thanks. And the good professor, thanks for agreeing <laughs> to help out on this interview. I, I interviewed Anthony Bourdain, and I didn't know, knew very little about him, and I got so... Yeah. Did you ever watch his show? It's, I did a call. Yeah. You know, we used to channel surf and oh, all the food he's, folks. He's wonderful. Yeah. that's It's great it's great to learn about. And he's got a new show on CNN where he travels mm. the world, and he gets paid for that. Yes. I think most of the people on CNN it's a good are given money I guess, yes, they are paid, of course. for their skills. His <laughs> is to travel around eating things. And eating things. And, I, and he's just actually pretty slender, so he's watching what he eats. So in my next clip with him, we talk about the molecular food movement, something mm-hmm. I, was, I was unsure what that meant, but it's all the rage, and let's find out where that takes us. I'm reading recently about the molecular food movement, mm-hmm. where if you have enough power over molecules, just... Right create the food from a molecular kitchen. What do you think of that term? I think it's an unfortunate term. It's treating ingredients in new ways. It's manipulating pre-existing ingredients into unusual forms. And I guess the father of this movement was a guy named Ferran Adria, a great chef, a great restaurant, one of the most enjoyable meals I've ever had in my life. Where? where? Uh, Called El Bulli in Spain. Mm -hmm. 50 cooks cooking for 50 diners. Never made a profit considered by many to be the best, best restaurant in the world. What Ferran explained what he did like this. He said, he's asking a basic question. 
here's a truffle in this hand. Here's a perfectly ripe peach. The truffle's $1,500. The peach is a dollar. Which is better? Which is better? This is rarer. It costs more money. But is it more delicious than a perfectly ripe peach in season or a pear? So he started asking, what if I treat the pear like the truffle? I do everything I can that experimentation in science has. If I trick you into thinking you're eating a truffle, if I serve it in a way that you were forced to value it, that draws the eye, that changed the texture, what can I do to this to change its value, its perceived value, to surprise you, to take you someplace you haven't been before, but then bring you ultimately back to something that, at the end of the day, tastes like a delicious, delicious pear. So, yeah, they used a lot of natural, mostly natural ingredients like agar-agar, the, the stabilizers, various processes to either intensify flavor, to trick the mind into, you know, eating a strawberry that doesn't look like a strawberry or a uh, apple that looks like uh, and feels like caviar in the mouth. That could be fun and exciting in the hands of somebody as talented as Ferran, and it could be a long, miserable night in the hands of somebody who read about him and thought it was a cool idea and started doing ghastly and terrible things to food sheerly to dazzle. Well, yeah. Why is that different from I go to the, the cheap deli and they've got the crab salad, but it's fish made to look like crab? Ferran would agree with you absolutely. There, there is nothing different. It's a technique and a process just like making ham. A leg of pork is a good thing, but as it turns out, if you pack it in salt and then, you know, hang it and age it and smoke it, it becomes even more delicious. So it's basically taking that same engine whether we're talking a sea leg, as it's called, that fake crab, or the making of ham to a, an extreme degree. Okay, but at least that's still using natural ingredients or ingredients available to them. It's not really coming out of the chemistry lab. This is not chemistry okay, lab. Okay, so there's some molecular movement. It is, not a, the yeah, bad it, is, name. it is a modernist cooking that understands and refined and expect that, you know, they spent a lot of time in workshops or laboratories figuring out why does an egg scramble? What process is happening already when you agitate and beat proteins? Yeah, proteins, proteins get all... Right. So what can we do? How can we play with that process? So we're not talking about introducing chemicals. In almost every case, most of the stabilizers or things like... These were extracts of or natural ingredients that are used elsewhere in, in other cultures. So it's not chemistry class, but it certainly does look like a laboratory. One of his more famous dishes is the spherified olive, which is essentially the extract of the best olives turned into juice and then dropped into a solution treated with a substance, a natural substance, which causes it to basically spherify into a liquid sphere contained only by itself. So you pick up something very delicately that looks like an olive and it explodes into liquid. It's thrilling and delicious. <laughs> So it's like the essence of olive turned into a bigger olive. Just as delicious as the original olive, but with excitement, surprise, wonder, and, you know, 50 courses of this, it's really like taking off to the moon. You're, you you, you yeah. look stunned by this description <laughs> of the essence of olive turned into an olive. Well, I've had one, actually. You, you had one, and what is it? It's like having a mouthful of olive oil. Ew. Good olive oil, mind you, but still olive oil. Like best ever olive oil. It could be. Okay, so but then... Little, but little, but not as thick or as thick. Yeah, pretty much just tastes it like olive oil. If so, you take the essence of an olive, that's oil, right? Yeah, that's right. what olive presses well, do. I'll go home and drink some olive oil and be like, that. And there you go. That. And you'll save yourself a great deal of money. <laughs> 
<laughs> so is, are these chefs gone awry? Is this like... Oh, I think they're having fun. It's boys with chemistry sets. What? <laughs> Murdering people. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, true. It's chemistry sets. So they get to play with all this really cool equipment. They get to play with liquid nitrogen. What could be more fun than that? I want, liquid, I want a liquid nitrogen nozzle in my kitchen. See? There you go. I've yeah. always wanted that. I think there you, you probably could have one, right? I could probably rig that, actually, yeah. now yeah. that you mention it. So if you had Liquid nitrogen is very cool. It's, it's nitrogen like in... In the air, in case you didn't know, 78% of the air you breathe is nitrogen. If you cool it enough, it will liquefy. But now it's like raging boiling and because it boils. Very cold. Yeah, it's 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 boiling at a very cold temperature. And what would happen if you sprayed it on a fish? Uh, you would instantly freeze the fish. And then if you, and then you microwave it, would it be delicious? <laughs> freeze it, then microwave it, then you have a mushy fish, right? All right. Just I, trying to see how well you know science you Yeah, yeah. So, no, I've never tried that, but I think that's what would happen if you did this. So uh, maybe there, there are things that a chef could still do to food that these boys with toys haven't mm -hmm. yet devised. That's, well, they're working on it. They're working on it. And there are it. lots of them working on it. So, but don't wouldn't it help if they knew... The chemical properties of fat versus protein mm -hmm. versus carbohydrates. On. Some of them might. I don't know why you're assuming. Well, no, well, well, I'm asking. Yeah. What, in your experience, yeah. do chefs have I mean, the kind some, of some do, some don't? Do chefs have the nutrition knowledge that you have? I mean, you're an expert, of course, but do they have your threshold of knowledge that you think everyone should have? I don't think so. They have knowledge about cooking. That's what they're doing, and they're trying to take the what, what little science they know and apply it. Would they be a better yeah. chef if they knew more of what you knew? Possibly. Possibly not. Because so much of cooking is about taste and flavor and getting a feel for how you deal with the Do you concern yourself much with taste? Absolutely. I, yeah, she seems to. Absolutely. You think people should eat moderately different things? Oh, things that are delicious. Yeah, so that they enjoy yeah. it. She's not trying to get everyone to eat weird, like, paste yeah, that is neutral think, of calories. I, I think healthy food should be absolutely delicious. That's how you'll convince people. No. Okay, a, but, but no, the, to me, a really, the stereotype is that the healthy food is nasty and well, it's, it's like taking your I medicine. I think that is anymore. More, actually, I think that's changed. Well, it now, should change. I says mean, the man who's a voice in Bob's Burgers. My, my, <laughs> my, not an argument. Yes, my, <laughs> it is at this I moment. I'm invoking it a word in as an voice, argument. Yes. Go. Um, no. uh, my idea of a really great chef is somebody who can make vegetables absolutely delicious. So that's all you want to eat. Ooh, that's an interesting chef's challenge. Yeah. And Take many, a meat eater and have him fall in love with vegetables. Many, many chefs can rise to that challenge without yeah. any trouble at all. It's true. Many. Just go to Blue Hill. Yeah, Blue okay. Hill is not a bad place to start. Okay. So you know about Blue Hill. Oh, my God. I've had carrots. <laughs> <laughs> they, they start out with little tiny yeah. spiked carrots yeah, and radishes. Remind me, Blue Hill has their own farm or yeah, something. Is that do. right? It's and they, really they, delicious. They do. They control all their own yeah. vegetable products, if I remember that yeah. correctly. They Just do. because I'm on a cartoon with the word burger doesn't mean <laughs> I eat only burgers. Okay. I'm just, 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 just I didn't mean to be clear like, offend. <laughs> I'm curious about something. When people eat, uh, different foods react to their systems differently. You know, some people get indigestion. I mean, do you study the chemistry of people's reactions to food? Well, one of the things that's really fabulous about the human digestive system is that it can take anything and turn it into calories and nutrients. Oh, okay. Really anything. And if the, there are some people who are sensitive to certain foods and have food allergies and other kinds of problems, but most people... Just even tofu? <laughs> even tofu. <laughs> just most, making sure, I'm just curious. Most people can take 
anything that was that used to be alive and that's edible. So we turn it into. So we're a calorie factory. We just wood. We're a calorie factory. Wood. A wood would be hard. Yeah, well, if we were some people could. That's not suggestible. I want to talk about eating no. wood in a minute. For that, you need termites. Sure, exactly. <laughs> uh, when we come back to Star Talk Radio, more on our show on nutrition. Be right back. If you and your grandma don't speak the same language, it can be hard to express your love for her. McDonald's can help. To celebrate the launch of the new Grandma McFlurry, McDonald's is inviting fans to visit sweetconnections.ai, where you can record a video message for grandma that's translated into her native language. The tech will clone your voice, reanimate your face, and translate your words so that you look like you're speaking another language. Check out sweetconnections.ai, then get a Grandma McFlurry at McDonald's. Available for a limited time. At participating McDonald's, select languages available. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Every memorable gift starts with a wondrous story. Giving a gift with energy helps it last just that bit longer. So imagine a story from the high seas where Jefferson's ocean bourbon and rye whiskies are aged and transformed by unpredictable and unrelenting elements. They'll taste a journey in every sip, darkened by pounding waves, kissed by ocean breezes and caramelised by equatorial heat. Give the gift of adventure. Give Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon Rye. Please, sip responsibly. Copyright 2023, Jefferson's Bourbon Company, Crestwood, Kentucky. We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I got Eugene Merman and Professor Nestle. Nestle. The verb or the net? The, no, the verb. The verb, excuse me. To nestle, yes. We're talking about nutrition. We're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain. And we were coming out talking about could you eat wood? Now, of course, termites eat wood. Mm -hmm. And they're having a field day doing so because mm -hmm. they have the digestive enzymes that can get calories out of wood. They have bacteria in their intestines that allow so bacteria. them to do that. Okay. We have bacteria in our intestines that can handle food fiber. But I don't think it handles wood very well. Oh, okay. But actually, it doesn't digest the fiber. It just passes it through, right? I digest some of the fiber. The bacteria can digest some of the fiber, some of the fiber. and turn it into little volatile fatty acids that get oh. absorbed, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so we can eat, like, so lettuce we can eat, but not, like, oak leaves. 
it would be difficult. It would be difficult. Would, would it be poisonous or just unpleasant? I don't know whether oak leaves are poisonous or not. I'll tell you in a few days. <laughs> yeah, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that experiment and be sure and take notes? No, but think about a future. If, if there's a food shortage in the world and we mm. manage a way mm-hmm. to eat something first that allowed you to digest wood because mm-hmm. wood has calories in it it's got mm-hmm. energy that's why you can burn it in a fireplace absolutely it's just not available to the human body right. as an energy source mm-hmm. so we can imagine a, a day where you can digest wood and what would we do with all the jokes about food tasting like wood chips <laughs> we would have to swap them out <laughs> for an other object <laughs> or plant right, some food right some food that, that, that tastes like wood like, would not on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> tastes but, like sawdust. Yes, which is still <laughs> wood. In, in my interview with Anthony Bourdain, we I talked about sort of the animal aspect of eating meat. I mean, if you're going to eat meat, it's a dead animal. Okay, are you are agreed? People, agreed. Okay, <laughs> not, no, a, uh, not a debatable topic. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, what does it mean to to eat something that's been completely uh, where its origin is completely? concealed from you it's just a burger it's just a oh i see not like a farm to table kind of thing but more of like just like buying a big pile of meat or finding it on the right ground. would you Wrapping go out and kill the animal if you Wrapping knew that's plastic. what you were about to eat let's find out what our conversation punch says. an animal out and murder it yeah my fist. Mm. maybe it's more true in america than in other places but particularly in the carnivorous realm we shield ourselves from the animal mm-hmm. itself we buy a chicken you don't see the feet Right. You don't see the head. It's just packaged and it's just a piece of meat. Is that a good thing? Or, I mean, you probably no, it's, it's a terrible thing. thing. It's, but, but why? Why do you even okay, care? Okay, for a whole lot of reasons. It's always good to know where your food came from. It's only fair and just. My friend Fergus Henderson was a, a pioneer of what's called the nose-to-tail movement. He says, it's only polite. You know, if you're going to kill an animal or more, more often have an animal killed for your restaurant or your kitchen, it's only polite to eat as much of it as possible, to not waste. People should understand where their food comes from, how it was raised, uh, what the impact might be on their on society as a whole in that process. But I think also just as sentient, caring people, a decent person would prefer that their animal is raised reasonably happy and, and killed with a minimum of cruelty. But if before everyone ordered their cowboy steak, Right. If they said, go outside, find the cow that you want us to slaughter, look it in the eye and pull this trigger and shoot it. Honestly, I, I think that's an experience. The, the more people who are who can do... The cow with big eyelashes, you know. I, uh, it is something I've done. It's, when you travel this world, you meet your dinner frequently. It's difficult. When you've killed your first pig, you really start to abhor waste, disrespect to the ingredient. I'm a lot more careful about how I cook my pork now. You know, I understand something died for that pork chop, okay? I think you become a a better citizen of the world and a a more rounded person when you have seen that process and you've made some personal decisions as part of that. Uh, But it is a life-changing thing and I think everyone should take part in it. I think that's deep. Do you agree? Absolutely. It's philosophically Absolutely. En- enriched outlook mm-hmm. 
on the food that you that that you confront. Mm -hmm. yeah. Many people don't eat meat because they can't bear the idea of either raising animals for food or killing animals for food. People who do eat meat, if they're thoughtful at all, have to come to terms with what that means. And his coming to terms obviously is he he wants to respect. It has a lot of respect in it. I think that's a philosophical position that'll that a lot of meat eaters yeah. have these days. I, do this I want my meat raised humanely. Yeah. I know I'm going to be killing it, but I want it at least raised humanely. My one little part of that mm -hmm. that I do for myself, when I'm eating a shrimp, I eat the shrimp with the shell. Ah. I figure the shrimp gave its life, I'm gonna eat its shell as well. But plus it's chewable anyway, it's not like a lobster shell. Right. But also, I eat the lobster shell because I'm a little better than you. <laughs> but also, uh, when, when I cook a lobster, you know what I do? I just, I remove the the claw mm -hmm. rubber bands before I put uh. it in the... Oh, yeah. Doesn't everyone do that? No, I don't think so. Because I, I, I... You I, would I, boil rubber bands with your food? No, I, I want the lobster to have one last chance to bite me before uh, it goes in. I see. Right. It's just, it's just, a, it's a... It's I a, guess... I selfishly do the same thing because I don't want to boil a bunch of rubber bags. <laughs> so it's good that we're both good people. But me when we come back more about eating animals and some of them even carry diseases, when we come back to Star Talk Radio. We are back. Star Talk Radio. Neil Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. I've got Eugene Merman, comedian extraordinaire. Love your stuff, Eugene. Thank, Thank you. you. And Professor Marianne Nessel. Uh, recently authored a book, this... Uh, Why Calories Count. Why Calories Count mm -hmm. from Science to Politics. Awesome. And that's not your first book. No. It's not your first rodeo. No. You've been writing about this stuff for a while. So mm -hmm. thanks for being on. We're talking Pleasure. about nutrition. We're talking about food. Talking about cooking. And in this segment, we're talking about slaughtering animals, uh, some of which might have some disease that you want to avoid. And it includes interview clips that I conducted with Anthony Bourdain. Let's get right to, at the top of this segment, my interview with Anthony Bourdain, where we just come out of talking about slaughtering animals, facing them in the eye, if you really want to appreciate what you're eating, and the fact that animals are a source of disease yeah. in the world. Let's find out. Some pathogens in our culture are directly traceable to viruses that hopped from animals that we either farm or eat or... Where do, how does that... Does that scare you sometimes? I, I'm thinking of avian flu or, or mad cow disease or even AIDS with contact with the, the rest of the apes. I, you know, I think uh, exercising reasonable caution the same way you would if you travel around rural America uh, is a useful thing to do wherever you go. I mean, the days when I would eat uh, way as far out of my comfort zone, uh, you know, as a daredevil, just so that I could tell friends that I drank, uh, you know, live cobra blood. I don't do that anymore. I guess I would advise people against. I, I generally well, we used to do that. Early on, I was so grateful to be traveling. I didn't think this whole TV thing would last. I'd never been anywhere. So, yeah, when I was in Vietnam, I made sure to get the live still beating cobra heart and drink its blood. Just so I figured when it all ended six months later, at least I'd get a free beer telling that story, you know. Um, I, I long ago changed the way I travel to be much more interested in the typical everyday thing. 
I think if you use the same philosophy, people always ask me, do you get sick? Just stomach problems for traveling around, eating all that street food. Always ask yourself, is this how your average person eats? You know, is the place busy? Uh, it's generally not going to be a concern. If you're aware that avian flu has become a, a, a concern in the area, yeah, uh, you know, undercooked poultry is probably not going to be a good idea. You'd have to, you will have to think about those things. Uh, if there's mad cow around, you know, maybe, you know, calves' brains at a dodgy pub would, would not be your first option. But I, I, I think if you familiarize yourself with what's going on, as any cautious traveler should, and don't take unreasonable risks, um, you know, eating brains or spine in a, uh, in a, in a mad cow area would be a bad idea. The, so just same, using common sense. Yeah, just like they're not drinking the water in Russia from the tap. You shouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> do as the natives do. So, Marion, uh, how much attention do you give in your profession to not only nutrition of food, but the hazards that the eating of food can bring you when they're contaminated? Oh, I actually have a book. It's called Safe Food, The Politics of Food Safety. Practicing <laughs> Safe Food. Yeah. That, that uh, yes. uh, Safe Food, <laughs> yes. exactly. You got you know, it. I, I, you know, there's you E. coli, know. botulism, hep A. Yeah, the, the Centers for Disease Control says 48,000 people in America get sick with food poisoning every year, and there's 125,000 hospitalizations and 3,000 deaths. Those are the standard figures. But so I what do you do to avoid this? I tried it. When I'm traveling, I try to eat food that's been cooked. Cook the food. Cook the food. Oh, cooking does wonders. And, and never a sandwich safety. that you find on the ground. Uh, <laughs> never eat a, a ground no, sandwich in Russia, they always five say. Seconds, not, I'm a told. A, not a good Well, not more than five seconds. Uh, but wait a minute. Anyway. So, all right, so you cook the food, but also cooking removes some of the nutrients from food. Isn't that yeah, right? but not seriously. Okay. You know, it'll kill a couple of the more dicey ones like vitamin C and folate, but the others will be fine. And you will be so much better off eating cooked food and places where the water's dirty that you'll be grateful that you did okay so that's but how about how about the pathogens that are not organic that like like mad cow disease isn't that just a folded protein or something yeah, that's that, a folded protein that's pretty rare hey no, what's no, a folded po protein because everyone knows what that is it's a misfolded protein <laughs> that makes it even worse what is that um there are proteins in your body, your, yeah, yeah. That's, and this one happens to get into the brain, and it's bad, and it's folded wrong, and it mm. makes others fold wrong, too. Uh-oh, and then your whole brain folds wrong, and what yeah, a folded yeah. brain is a dead brain. It's that's really what I bad. say. Yeah, it's bad. Okay. It's bad. You don't want to get that, but it's rare. Yeah, you definitely don't want to get fold brain. It's rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, avoid the fold brain. Okay. And it's something that cooking the food would not prevent. No. So avoid eating food. the brains of other animals. Yes. Okay. Oh. Excellent. Sorry. Sorry. When we come back to Star Talk Radio, more with my interview segments with Anthony Bourdain. We'll see you in a moment. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. 
Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Seasons change. Why not your gaming tech? Upgrade now during the Alienware Summer Sale event and save on select next-gen Alienware PCs and more. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Exceptional prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Guess who's a Verizon Fios customer? Okay, it's me. You got me. That's right. And I love Verizon Fios because I love having a fiber optic connection come directly into my home. That's right. It doesn't stop at the street and then regular cable comes in. No, it comes directly into my home. And that gives me the best viewing experience that I could ever have. And now for a limited time, you can stream what you love for less with Verizon. Get one year of Peacock Premium for just $19.99. That's a savings of over 60%. Save on all your favorite shows and movies, from Traders to Love Island to Trolls Band Together to Yellowstone. Start saving on the subscription you love at verizon.com slash plus play. Available through Verizon Plus Play. New Peacock subscriptions only. After one-year promotional period, subscription auto-renews at then-current annual price plus tax unless you cancel. $59.99 until July 17th, 2024. As of July 18th, 2024, the price will increase to $79.99. Additional terms apply. See verizon.com slash plus play for more details. We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. And we're coming into to our final segment on this program where we're, we're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain. Yes. And, uh, and Professor, you've been commenting on this. It's been, been great. Just fleshing out what we're trying to explore, what, what it all means. We came out of that segment talking about folded proteins. You didn't know about a folded protein? No. And I'm willing to bet a lot of people did. Misfolded. <laughs> misfolded. Everybody <laughs> knows about like a perfectly folded protein. It's the misfolded proteins that catch most of America. The origami right? protein where they yeah. messed up the, the third, yeah. the, the third which, standard form. Which is a danger that is unlikely and can't be avoided by cooking. Both of right. those things. Great. So I'm... Not afraid. Don't need animal put that. Yeah. And uh, how good is cooking at killing viruses as opposed to bacteria? It's which fine. That'll do it's that fine. too. Cooking is really helpful if you're trying to kill bacteria and viruses. And so it could be one of the greatest contributors to our longevity. It could. The fact that we started cooking food back when fire was tamed by cavemen. Yes. That, that's <laughs> if you boil a person with a common cold, you will kill the common cold. <laughs> the question is how what's to find that perfect temperature before they die. Mm. Well, Just, that's kind of what your body does when it raises its temperature mm. is fighting bacterial infection. Mm. So you were not completely wrong, crazy with that suggestion. <laughs> but I want to boil people <laughs> to kill the virus. But in fact, your body sometimes doesn't know how high to bring the body temperature and it can mm. kill itself, right? right? Mm. With a fever, yeah. Mm. yeah. So, well, so there. Uh, so I, I spoke with Anthony Bourdain about 
food in interesting, more exotic places like food in space. What Rhode astronaut? Island. <laughs> what, what astronauts eat? Name one person or, who's we're ever been go there. Mars, or we're going to go someplace? Just food <laughs> at high altitude. Later this afternoon, I'm going to be speaking with the space station astronauts, and I'm going to ask them. In part inspired by this conversation, I'm going to ask them. Since it is an international space station, did they ever get together and swap each other's foods? <laughs> well, they do. I've spoken to some astronauts about this, and it's really interesting what happens to the palate at altitude and in outer space. Apparently, you know, if you have a stash of hot sauce, you're the go-to guy in outer space. <laughs> they crave spice and uh, like chili sauce, Tabasco, some kind of good spicy relish seasonings. Something uh, to keep in mind. If if our next mission to Mars, would you? Volunteer to be their chef? Um, or advise an asset on it? really be interested in going to Mars. I ain't cooking. I had 28 years of it. Somebody else can bring the food. <laughs> I'll bring the hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you could be the, the spice man, I guess. How to make the food better. Well, and, and it's, uh, you know, airline food tastes so differently on the ground and, and at an altitude. Uh, they have to completely reimagine it for what it's going to taste like up there. So I think I'd be well Given my experience in Southeast Asia, I think I'd be a good choice for the master of condiments. <laughs> Marion, I'm intrigued by that. I mean, I, I conducted that interview, but it didn't hit me until just now that if your taste buds, your brain taste bud connection changes according to altitude, you need a different cuisine at every yes. stratum oh, it's, of, it's, of it's where people live. It's why money tastes so good eating in, in, in Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, so Ed, what do you what is what do you know is known about eating at altitude? I don't think it's uh, I don't think the reasons for it are known. It must have something to do with the loss of oxygen tension. Yeah. There's just less oxygen. Less oxygen and yeah. even in uh, on a on an airplane that is not pressurized to sea level. It's pressurized right. at much lower, which puts less stress on the fuselage because if they pressurize the cabin at at sea, level. at sea level pressure, then seals begin to give, and it's it's. And I'm, no, you I thought at, at first you were like, you were talking about seal the animal. No, like, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Oh, you don't know how planes work. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're powered by seals, <laughs> oh boy. And so, uh, and in the space station, the same thing. So, so they might up the oxygen level to the same per breath, but the total air pressure is going to be less. Mm -hmm. And we know you can survive in lower air pressure. So that's that's fascinating. But so things don't taste as good and it's harder to boil water. Yeah. Well, yeah. well so well harder to cook an egg. You can boil the water. You won't cook the egg because it boils at a lower temperature. Oh. Yeah. You knew that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds familiar. <laughs> I, don't, I don't spend no. a lot of days boiling eggs in high altitudes, but sure, I've heard the thing. Right, so what it. happens is as you go to higher altitude, there's less air pressure mm -hmm. on the surface of the water. Right. And so the water's trying to evaporate itself and it, at, at sea level, and it's fighting all these air molecules. You go to lower air, lower air pressure, water's popping up willy-nilly, and so the temperature of the water boils is uh -huh. lower. Now you want to cook your three-minute egg, the egg says, I'm ready for 212, but you only give me 180. So right. your three-minute egg becomes a five-minute egg. S sounds like you, sh you, could, you shouldn't be poaching eggs in space. <laughs> but you should be making omelets on a nice hot pan, right? Yeah, so we need a whole new cookbook for your, very, for your various cooking. altitudes. For the amount we're trying to get to Mars, we haven't thought about how we're going to cook on the way there. You don't have to feed robots. <laughs> That's, we just give them sunlight. Yeah. So we, we should re-engineer humans so that we can run on sunlight. And that then, would be terrific. I but, would love a helmet that absorbs solar energy. But then it's not as tasty. The whole the food traditions of our world would yeah. be gone. We've got to start wrapping this up. Okay. Professor Nestle, thanks for coming. <laughs>
And and Eugene, and, and your book is out, just came out a few months Why ago. Why Calories Count. Why Calories Count. I'm, yeah. I'm all over that. And yeah. Eugene, are you going to read her book? I, I am. I'm, I'm actually totally excited to get your book. She should have brought a free copy for me, but I'll get it on iTunes or something. And that was great. I want to publicly thank uh, Anthony Bourdain again for granting yeah. us that interview, and he was such a Hi, great Anthony. guy. Hi, Anthony. I like your stuff a lot. And he was, I like his food. He was so frank and honest, and he was such a great guy. That You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Give a shout-out to NSF. Well, you, you're NIH people. Excuse me. NSF oh. all the way. I am Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, bidding you farewell and to keep looking up. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.